Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. I would like you to get your Bibles, if you would, open them to the book of Acts in chapter 2. And we'll read our text in just a little bit. We've been uh, working on a series uh, uh, based on an ancient document called the Apostles' Creed. And uh, this creed, as I've said before, it's a concise statement of our Christian beliefs. There can be all kinds of creeds in the world, even Apollo Creed, I guess. But, uh, but in, in this particular sense, we're talking about a statement of, of uh, Christian beliefs. And, and so far, we've looked at the ideas that God has created all things with a purpose in mind, and that was you and me, it was people. And that uh, to have a relationship with God, you have to have a relationship through His Son, Jesus Christ, who has to be Lord. In other words, he put, he, Jesus has to be in charge of your life to have a relationship with God. We also looked a couple weeks ago at the virgin birth and how, how we, had to, we saw that it had to be that Jesus was both fully God and fully man at the same time so he could break the curse that was upon us as man, uh, mankind. And then finally, last week, we looked about at the idea that through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, he also took our place on the cross, that took death for us so that we could have eternal life. Aren't you thankful today for those truths of God's word? So we're going to do what we've done for the last uh, few weeks. Uh, here it is, our fifth week into this. And I want to ask you to stand. We're going to recite the Apostles' Creed, which I've slightly modified. Uh, if you need an explanation of that, listen to the first message online. Are you ready to go, everybody? Are you encouraged? Come on, we're learning about our faith. Here we go. Go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the community of holy people, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Give yourselves a hand as you're seated. Today we're going to focus on a really interesting line. I don't know if you've read this week after week and you thought, man, that's weird, but show this next slide for me, will you, Josh? And uh, we're going to really hit on that, especially that first phrase there, he descended to the dead. How many read that and you thought, what is that? Right? It just seems like it's a kind of a weird thing and we want to understand more about it, but we'll also talk a little bit about the resurrection uh, of the dead as well. Uh, now, on the day of Pentecost, which was the uh, for, or 50th day after the Passover, so it was 47 days after Jesus rose from the dead, uh, Peter, who was one of the disciples, and he, he was a guy that always had, he always seemed to be saying the wrong things, but on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon them all, they, the, their fire came into the room, the fire came upon all the people, um, and a rushing mighty wind, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they all spoke in other tongues, and uh, following that, a crowd gathered in the street, the crowd gathers out there, and they think, oh, you're drunk with wine, you're, that's why you're acting the way you are, and, and uh, we, we men, we watched a video this week, and, and Jensen Franklin said, uh, the only 
The only case they had for the fact that they weren't dr drunk is that it was 9 in the morning. That's all they could really say. But otherwise, they were acting and behaving as drunk people because their behavior was so out there. They were loud and boisterous, and, and words are coming out of their mouth that people, some people understood it in different languages, but it just seemed like such a wild party that they thought they were drunk with wine. And so... Peter, after being baptized with the Spirit, stands up in front of the huge crowd that's gathered. They were in an upper room, so there was a balcony kind of an area that he could walk out onto. And a huge crowd is gathered, um, well over probably 5,000 people, we know. But he ends up preaching his first gospel message. And suddenly, this guy is a, is a profound orator. I mean, this guy can lay it out. He's laying out the gospel message top to bottom. He's explaining what's going on, why they're behaving the way they are, and all that, all that stuff. And so uh, that's our text today from Acts 2, 22 through 32. We're going to read an excerpt of this beautiful sermon that Peter preaches where 5,000 people respond to this message, receive Christ, get baptized in water, and baptized in the Holy Spirit all in one day. It was um, the most profound thing uh, for the church to get started with. So, so incredible. Here we go, Acts 2.22. Peter is saying, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. And I love this line so much, because it was impossible. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I can just picture Peter with that word impossible. I know it sounded different in the language he was speaking Greek at the time, but, but I just feel like there had to be emphasis there, don't you? Man, that's such a beautiful word. And uh, verse 25, David said about him, so what he does is he goes back like preachers do, and you pick up a passage of scripture to preach from, and he's happened to be preaching, I think it's uh, Psalm 16, if I remember right. And David says this, I saw the Lord always before me, because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you fill me with joy in your presence. Now he ends the quotation of Psalms and he says, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. In addition to talking about the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Peter talks twice, first in the quotation, and secondly, by explaining it, about this idea of the realm of the dead, which is a very interesting topic we're going to get to, and that Jesus was not abandoned there. And I'll give you a preview of coming attractions. We won't be abandoned there either, praise God. Hallelujah. Do you know because Christ is in you, it's impossible for death to have hold on you as well. Hallelujah. You should be awful happy about that. So let's pray as we get going on this. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just this passage that we read. It's so powerful as it talks about all that you've done. The gospel message is there that you came to this earth. You did miracles. You taught us. You, you did all these things, and then you suffered and died on the cross, but death could not hold you. And uh, God, we thank you that you rose again. 
And Lord, as we study your word, I pray that it will become so encouraging to each one that's here. And if anyone's here who doesn't know you yet as Savior, that by the end of this message, they will be opening their hearts to that. But Lord, we all want to open to everything you have for us through your word. In Jesus' name, is that all right? Okay, here we go. So they say, you've all heard this before, they say that there are uh, two things that are inevitable in life. What are they? Death and taxes. Uh, I've met people, I don't know if you have too, that try to get away without paying taxes. Have you? I did a memorial service. This was, oh man, it had been about 10 years ago now, I think. Um, I did a memorial service for a guy. I didn't really know him at all, but the family came to the church at that time and they asked me to do the service. We did it at another facility. So I'm there, and I don't know people in the crowd at all. And I, I said, do you want an open mic time? A lot of people do at a memorial service. So they, I said, do you want an open mic time at the end where people can share some of their thoughts? And they said, yes, we want that. We definitely do. I mean, this was a respected man in the community, so it was great, great. So I, uh, I, do the, so I said, well, here's how it'll go. I set it all up. And so we get to that part of the service. We're getting near the end, but we open up a period of time for people to make comment. And I, like I say, I didn't know anybody in the crowd. And all of a sudden, this one guy gets up, and, uh, and he walks to the front. He grabs the microphone, and he begins to go on, I kid you not, at least a 10-minute rant about conspiracy theories, about the government, how evil the government is. And, um, and I'm looking around at people like, does anybody know? Like, did he just walk in off the street? And, he, and at some point, he switches over and starts talking about taxes and how paying taxes, it's illegal that the government is taking taxes, and you shouldn't pay taxes. We should all band together and rebel. I don't remember him saying one word about even knowing the guy who had died. And I'm like, I'm looking around, I'm thinking, will somebody please do something? I, you know, I don't know this, this whole bunch of people that well. I'm hoping some family member will, that knows this guy will say something. I'm just at the point where I'm about to get out of my seat and say, hey, I think we need to kind of get back on track here. And he finally wraps it up and says, I don't even think he, I don't know if he knew him, but if he did, he didn't talk about the deceased at all. All he did was talk about taxes. It was just embarrassing, to be quite honest. But... And I suppose with a good accountant and maybe some offshore accounts, you could cheat tax, man, but you're not going to cheat death. Sorry. No one, I know, that's morbid, right? No one's going to cheat death. With, in biblically speaking, with the exception of Enoch and Elijah, uh, everyone else has or will die. Now, here's the, here's the caveat. Enoch was taken uh, while he was walking with God. And Elijah was taken by a chariot of fire coming down. And so both of them somehow were spared death. But there is the caveat that Jesus is going to return someday, and I hope it's in my lifetime. Because that would be a good thing, wouldn't you think? And uh, in fact, I'm ready, Lord. If you'd like to come now, that'd be awesome. But, they but that's what Enoch and Elijah represent. They represent the rapture of the church, which will take place when the time has come. And the Lord will come, and he will rescue his church. So other than that group of people who are alive at that time, who know Christ, who will be taken up to be together with the Lord in the clouds, we will get, if that happens during our lifetime, we get to cheat death, but that's it. Otherwise, we're all going to die. Sorry. I know, that's, like I say, that's... It, when I say that, it makes me think about the movie, What About Bob? And I don't know if you've seen that movie. I just, I had to get this clip out because I, to me, it's just perfect. But there's a scene where Bob, who's this neurotic guy, is staying the night with Dr. Leo Marvin, his psychotherapist, and um, actually ends up in the same bedroom as Bob's son, or uh, Leo Marvin's son. And they start talking about their fears. I'm sorry for the audio quality. Please forgive me, but I just want you to see this clip and think about this for a minute. Let's show that, guys. 
Come on. There's some real profound wisdom in that. He's, you know, uh, he says, we're all going to die. You're going you're gonna to go quicker than I am. Bob's kind of sits up in bed. It's like, yeah, I guess that's right. And, uh, you know, it, it, we're all, it's going to happen. And so we'll, let's talk about that a little bit. I, I read this this week. Uh, there were these two elderly women that had met for the first time since they were in graduating high school. And one of them asked the other, she was saying, you always were such a well-organized, you're the most organized person I've ever met. And, uh, and so did you, and they hadn't talked to each other since high school, and they were now elderly. And she said, did you manage to live a well-organized and well-planned life? And she said, oh, yes, I did. She said, I've been married four times. My first marriage was to a millionaire. My second marriage was to an actor. The third was to a preacher. And the fourth was to an undertaker. Her friend said, okay. She said, what do what are those marriages have to do with living a well-planned life? And she said, well, one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. So, but, but since death is inevitable, let's talk about what happens to us when we go. I mean, we, we all face the fact that we're prepared, we're, that prepared or not, everybody's time will come sooner or later. And we read in, the, in this line, he descended to the dead. So since on Easter Sunday, I talked about the resurrection a lot. I'm going to focus mostly on this phrase, though I'll talk a little bit at the end about the resurrection. So let's just focus in on this descended to the dead bit and kind of we'll make some application to our own lives and see what it's about. Here's, here's what you need to think about. At the moment that Jesus died on the cross, which we talked about last week, there, there was, this, this is what happened. There was a separation from the soul, if you will, and the spirit of Jesus, who he really is, and the physical body, which is made of dust and made of clay, if you will, have the breath of God in it. But this physical body, uh, there was a separation that took place. And the essence of all that Jesus is and was was wrapped up in a separation that took place from that body that was dead there on that cross. And when that took place, because he did not cease to exist, he, did, he didn't stop existing at that point. And that will be true of every single person in this room. Since the time with Jesus, he always existed in time past and will always exist in the future. We all had a starting place, but from here on, we will all exist into the future. Period. We all will. And, uh, and so, our, death is not final for us. It, our bodies may cease to breathe and operate, but we, we, who we truly are, the essence of who we are, our spirit and our soul, will be moved uh, into a new location. The eternal part of us will continue on. So Jesus is crucified on Friday, okay, the Passover, and the sun set in that afternoon, the Sabbath day, the day, it started at the end of that day when in the Hebrew way of doing things was as soon as the sun set, that was the start of the new day. So they had, they had some work to do to get him off the cross and get him in the tomb real quick because the Sabbath was going to start at sundown and that is the Hebrew day of rest that was instituted by God, right? Okay. So, so the, they... They are all rushing to get the work done, to get Jesus down, get him into the tomb. But I want to tell you that on that Sabbath day, Jesus had some important work to do, really important work to do. 
And again, these, the women, they wanted to finish the work of, of embalming his body and, and wrapping it and putting spices. In, and some of that did get to happen. They got to wrap his body. Nicodemus, I mean, uh, might have been Nicodemus with him, but I'm thinking of Joseph of Arimathea comes, asks for the body of Jesus. They wrap it in strips of cloth hurriedly. They put a few spices in there. They put the body into the tomb, and then they, they, stone is rolled over it, and they had to hurry to get to their own homes before the sunset that day. And so while everybody else was resting during the next 24-hour period, Jesus was working. He was at work. See, we have Friday, which is the day of the crucifixion. When we talk about Jesus being in the tomb three days, he was just a little bit on Friday, and just after sunrise on Sunday morning, he got up. So the three days was really like 36 hours total, okay? And it, was three, you know, it wasn't three full 24-hour uh, days. A little bit on Friday, all day the Sabbath, and then just after sunrise, he's up. Right? So, so that's what, what's going on with Jesus. And, uh, and so, so I want to clear something up, because when the creed says he descended to the dead, what we're not saying is we're not saying that Jesus went to hell. Technically speaking, what we think of as hell, which all the drawings would show of a lake of fire and brimstone and all that, that either doesn't exist quite yet, or, and it will, or it exists, but it's empty right now. Okay, I need you to understand this. And, and so only at the end of all things, when, when John sees a new heaven and a new earth, that's when the place that we think of as hell, the lake of fire, will be populated at that time. Where Jesus goes, uh, and, and at that time, when that happens, it, the Bible says in Revelation that we just read this in our devotions, that death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. Okay? So if you're part of death and Hades, you're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Now, now uh, Hades is the name of uh, the Greek word for the grave, and uh, in the Hebrew, that would be Sheol, but they basically mean the same thing. This, this is the place where the dead go. And so here's what we believe about Hades, that Hades, uh, up until the time of Christ, had two vastly separate divisions to it. When a person died, if they had res uh, been a, a believer, if you will, if they'd had faith in the Messiah that would come, they followed the law and they did what God asked of them then, then, and had their sins forgiven, then they would go to a place that would be, in essence, like the presence of the Lord, but it's a separate part of Hades. Then we also believe, it's, again, it's not, you know, but then there's another side of Hades, which is, again, not the lake of fire, but it is certainly a place of torment sadness, frustration, and loneliness. And we get all of this from the story that John, Jesus told us, and I'm going to have him put it on the screen here, uh, about a rich man and a beggar named Lazarus. Not the same Lazarus that was raised from the dead, uh, in, uh, but, but this is a story that Jesus told. And I'm going to just read the whole story to you, and then we'll kind of unpack it a little bit. He says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. 
And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. If you continue reading the story, it goes on, and, and uh, Laz, or, uh, the rich man desires to even either go back or send someone back to tell his relatives. He doesn't want them to end up where he ended up. And so it's a, it's a rough story to read. I mean, it's just, it's really brutal to see these two people. Now, I want you to, first of all, understand, just because uh, we're rich, and by the way, all Americans are rich, so just put yourself in that category. <laughs> but, uh, but just because someone's rich doesn't mean that they're going to go to the place of torment and the place uh, that's in separated from Abraham's side. But just because you're poor doesn't mean you're going to Abraham's side either, right? We understand that it's faith in Jesus, what we talked about last week. Come through the cross, come through the, the you know, and, and even talking about the lordship of Christ. That's what gets you to be with God when it's all said and done. But, but, but let me put this in perspective. You remember on the cross, there's, there's two thieves on either side of Jesus beside him. And one of them, at some point, at first they were both mocking him like the crowd was. But at a certain point, one of the thieves all of a sudden just uh, catches on to what's going on and begins to have a revelation, if you will. And he turns to Jesus at a certain point. Actually, first he turns to the other thief and he says, what? You know, how, how can you keep mocking him like this? Don't you see he doesn't deserve this? And then he turns to Jesus and he, you remember what he says? He says, Jesus, what does he say? Remember me. When you come into your kingdom, can I say that this guy, none of his disciples understood it. No one got what, what Jesus was all about. But here in the midst of dying, a thief beside him suddenly realizes this is not the end. This is not the end. And he thinks, my only hope is to cry out for mercy from the only one who can save me. Before anybody else got it, this guy got it. And so he said, remember me. And you remember what Jesus said back to him? Today, this very day, you're going to be with me where? In paradise. You're going to be with me in paradise. And so, so he says, you're going to be with me in paradise. So on Friday, on this Friday, when they both died, remember Jesus died not by crucifixion, by, by giving up his own spirit. He says, Father, into your hands I give up my spirit. Gone. After six hours of agony on the cross, that was it. But the thief died when they came later and broke his legs, right? And they couldn't, couldn't sustain life anymore. But on that day, both of them, if you will, descended to the dead. They went to where dead people go. But not to the place where the rich man was, but to the side where Lazarus, the poor man, was, and right beside Abraham, and all those who'd been saved under the old covenant were there. And in that moment, Abraham looked up and he saw the one that, that he had had faith in in the very beginning, that he, he met his Savior, if you will, for the very first time. And in that moment, Jacob, who, who had, uh, rec had a wrestling match with the angel of the Lord, but it turns out it's the Lord, he recognized, oh, you're the one I was wrestling with. And in that moment, uh, you know, Moses saw the one, when he, when he had been given the idea of the tabernacle and the sacrifices, and, oh, what is this all about? But I'm just being obedient to God. And suddenly, when he saw the, the, how all that aligned with the person, 
person that's standing in front of him. And he saw for the first time the one whose backside he had only seen walking away from him. Now he saw him face to face. I mean, in that moment, Joshua realized he's looking at the one who says, I'm the commander of the armies of the Lord, as he came and stood before him. In that moment, Ruth looked up and saw her descendant grandson, and she realized it was right that she would leave her family behind in Moab, not be in a motobitis anymore, but now be part of the family of Israel. And her little grandson, many lines down, that's Jesus, and she's looking at him. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine how uh, Elijah and Elisha fell? Can you imagine how all of these people fell? Can you imagine David when he looked at him and said, he said, oh, oh, that's the one I was praising. That's the rock of my salvation. And then Isaiah goes, oh, I saw it all, and I wrote it down in a vision 700 years ago, but there you are. Woo! Don't tell me there wasn't a praise party on that side of the grave, right? Oh, man, they're over there, hallelujah, shouting and having a great time. I, I just can't imagine how beautiful that was for each of them. Now, the other thief, who also died that day, rejected Christ, mocked him there on the cross, never gave up his mocking, by the way, uh, side note, that, that thief that was on the cross, <laughs> this is such a beautiful picture of grace. He never, ever got a chance to do any good works, did he? No. That's how powerful the grace of God is. I'm not saying works aren't important, but they are a result of a saved life. He never had a chance to do them, and grace can still save you. Right? And we hear of deathbed conversions, and hey, I don't want to take any chances, but if that's the time you finally ask God's forgiveness, then fine. But... But man, you just never know, so don't wait. It's better to live for Jesus now. Okay. So, so, so though the other thief who rejected Christ went to this place in the grave where the rich man had gone. I read a story once years ago about a college drama group that presented a play in which the character would stand on top of a trap door, which the audience didn't know, and he would announce, I descend into hell. And as he said that, a stagehand below would pull a rope and it would release the trap door and he would fall down through the stage. And everybody would be amazed by this. And so the actor who was playing that part became ill and, and they had another actor who knew his lines, but he was quite overweight. And so, so when, the actor when the new actor announced, I descend into hell and they pulled the trap door, he only went about halfway down and he got stuck. And no matter how much they tried and everything like that, he just was stuck. He could not get, out, get down through that hole. And it was kind of an awkward moment. And someone up in the balcony finally yelled, Hallelujah, hell is full, you know. <laughs> so let me clarify. As I stated earlier, the place we think of as hell, the lake of fire, is empty right now. Is empty. But the place that is that is the side of Hades where this rich man went to is not full. In fact, as it says in Proverbs 30, the grave never says enough. It never says enough. Now, as we talk about Jesus being descended, the word descending could be, uh, descended could be misleading because we should not understand that the place where uh, Hades is right now or, or even where hell will ultimately be is someplace beneath the mantle of the earth. In reality, we have to think about it this way. It's in a completely different dimension than we're in right now. It's, it's actually God's dimension, which is the real dimension. We're the ones who are living in the shadows, in the, the, the passing vapor of life. This, this it feels so real to us. So I don't want you to think, well, if you dug down far enough, you'd find this place. It's not like that. Okay? It's in a different dimension altogether. And so, so 
but, but what happens is, is when people would die, they were, they were considered to be going down, descending, because they would take their bodies and they would bury them. And so that's where the idea came from, that they were descending. And they, 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 but they all, everybody that has died so far exists in the realm of God's reality, one side or the other. But something happened that day when Jesus went there, and he did some work, like I told you. He, uh, he began to, to speak to the people that were there first. In First Peter, we'll show it on the screen here, 3, 18 through 20. It says, when Jesus descended, we read that he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, and I want you to understand that, that in context, that means in the spirit, not after his resurrection, but after being made alive in the spirit. You see what I'm saying? Like he died on the cross. At that moment, he's alive in the spirit. So that's what the context of this is talking about, and that's important to understand. It says, after being made alive in the Spirit, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, those who were disobedient long ago. So what's happening here, and this verse really troubles scholars, and rightfully so, but there's consensus among most that say that the grave, those who were in the grave who had not faithfully uh, lived toward God heard the proclamation of Jesus from across that chasm, if you will, across that abyss, about how he had fulfilled all that had been written about him and proclaimed about him in the past. And understand this, this is not a, a second chance for people who, who had rejected him already, but just to kind of seal the deal of the consequence of the life that they had chosen. That's, I believe, what Peter is talking about, and most scholars believe that, and I agree with that. But following that proclamation, we see something else that happens in the grave. But, but again, this is the other side now where the poor man is and all the others in Abraham. And Ephesians 4, 8 through 11 on the screen says this. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And, uh, and so what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. What it's talking about in verse 8 there, it says when he ascended on high, when he, when he went back up to be with the Father, he took with him all those that had been, if you will, captives, and that may not be the best choice of words, but it's the word we have, but it's, they were captive in that place uh, where Abraham was. It wasn't a bad place, it was just a place where they were all kind of a, I, I hate to use it this way because I believe it really was the presence of the Lord, but it was sort of like a holding tank. And I believe that they were all transported immediately to God's side. And now, Paul will write that when we are absent from the body, where are we? Present with the Lord. So I believe that was true of them as well. But it, we're going to a different place now. I kind of think that side of Hades has been cleared out completely. And now we all go directly to the presence of the Lord in a, in a completely different way. I love that. I love that. Now, I know this is kind of like all over the place a little bit this morning, but it's a, kind of a difficult doctrine to work your way through. But I want you to understand that we believe that Jesus took those who are faithful with him in his ascension. You know, it's interesting. It even says, if you read the scripture, there's one scripture that says hundreds of holy people were found wandering around the streets of Jerusalem. Do you remember this? I think that's what it was. Jesus kind of emptied that part, and a lot of them were ended up walking around. Hey, you know, <laughs> and like, these, these people were dead. <laughs> now they're walking around. But you don't hear about that after the ascension. When Jesus ascends, I believe they ascend with him. And, uh, and so that, you know, we'll find out when we get to heaven about all that. But for now, I'm going to go with that. How you doing? So this leaves us, and we're getting really close to wrapping things up here, but it leads us to the next phrase in the creed, which is, on the third day he rose again. Hallelujah. 
So good. And on Easter Sunday five weeks ago, I preached about the resurrection. I talked about the fact that death is defeated, amen? Not only is death defeated, but along with that, we have the promise of eternal life through Christ. And I want to read to you, and I just want to encourage you that if, if a little hallelujah escapes your lips, or a little amen, or you get a little excited when, when I begin to read these passages of Scripture, you just let it fly, because these are some of the most exciting verses of Scripture you'll ever read in the Bible. Because, and if you want to shout a little, go ahead and praise Him today. But I'm going to read to you six passages very quickly from the New Testament that ought to encourage our hearts. Are you ready? John eleven twenty five through 26 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes. Amen. Romans eight eleven. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians six fourteen. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. 2 Corinthians 4.14, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. Thank you, God. Philippians 3, 20 through 21, our citizenship right now is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Hallelujah. And finally, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Somebody ought to shout and praise God today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Oh, the promise of a resurrection in us as well as Jesus because we believed in him. It's the one who descended is the one who ascended also and gave all life to us. Thank God for that. Higher than all the heavens, we will rise with him. The cross is empty. Hallelujah. But so is the tomb. Amen. And, and, and last Sunday I told you that I felt strongly that I was to take that cross and install it on the wall there. I felt a bit of a rebuke from the Lord that he, he, he was just... You know, it wasn't, it wasn't harsh, but it just felt like, you know, just a gentle rebuke that I was not emphasizing the cross enough in my own life. And I'm trying to do that, but here I am convinced, and Paul and I talked about this last Sunday night, that, that, that uh, I don't want to swing the pendulum one direction so hard that, that the resurrection gets second billing. And uh, I, I, as we talked about it, the fact that Paul says in the New Testament that if we don't have the resurrection, our faith is in vain. So, so you know, what it is, both of these have to be held high. The power of the cross is only available because Jesus rose from the dead. Hallelujah. But the resurrection power is only available because he died on that cross. One without the other is like an electrical plug with one prong. We have both prongs. And I'll tell you, maybe this is a little corny, but I think when we lift our hands to Lord, the Lord, we kind of represent an electrical plug. Both prongs plugging into the resurrection power of Jesus through the cross. Amen? So don't be afraid to lift your hands to the Lord. Worship team, come on up. We'll give you a chance to do that in a moment. Doing okay? Yeah. Me too. I'm doing well. I want to finish with an interesting thought. And uh, then what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song that I, especially the bridge of this song, I feel like is something we need to focus in on today. But I'm also going to open up an opportunity for anybody that feels like they need prayer to come to the front. And I'm going to ask uh, any of the leaders, and you know who you are, to come to the front and be ready to pray for people who uh, may feel like they need a touch from the Lord today.
So here's this interesting thought that I have uh, that I want to share with you. Initially, as I'm studying this and going through this, I'm a little bit bothered by the fact that, um, that Jesus is doing work on the Sabbath. Not, now listen carefully, not in a legalistic, pharisaical way, like I think he's doing something wrong or sinning in some way, believe me. But in a way that says, this is what I think in my head. I think, you know, talk about a brutal 24-hour period before you die. I mean, he was, he was betrayed. He was beaten. He, he basically stayed up all night long. He went through a, a mockery of a trial. They beat him. They whipped him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They, they, they spit on him. They did all these things. And then they took him out, made him carry that heavy wooden cross. And he went as far as he physically could until he fell exhausted under the weight of it. And then six hours from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., he stayed on that cross going through the suffering agony of all that that was about. And I'm thinking after all that and you come down off the cross, I don't mean this in a, this may sound kind of flippant, I don't mean it this way at all, but I just feel like he should get a break. I mean, that's, right? Doesn't that just kind of seem right? And you think, hey, it's the Sabbath. Let him just rest for a day. That's, that's a lot to ask of somebody. But here he is preaching to the, the captives, preaching to the people that are in, you know, he's doing all this work. He's, he's rescuing people. And I'm, th- I, and I'm thinking about, and as I'm thinking about this uh, on, on Tuesday morning, actually, this week, I felt like the Holy Spirit just dropped a thought into my head that was so profound. And I remembered when Jesus one time had healed a man on the Sabbath day. Do you remember this? And, and, and the Pharisees were questioning him about it, saying, you shouldn't do work on the Sabbath. Why were you doing work on the Sabbath? And this is how he responded from Matthew chapter 12. He says, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Rhetorical question, the answer is yes. How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Somebody needs to hear how valuable you are to God today. He says, therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So though there's a law to rest, there's a higher law, which means to do good, to do something as powerful as rescue someone who's fallen down, who's in a pit. From Luke's gospel as well, it's a little different. He says, if, he, said, he asked them, he said, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? What we need to understand is that since the Garden of Eden, humanity had fallen into a pit. There was no way we could extricate ourselves. There's no way we could get ourselves out of that. And, and the work that Jesus did on the cross, including that glorious resurrection, was the answer. And that on that Saturday, on that day of rest for other people, while the women could not go to the tomb because it was the Sabbath day, even though they wanted to go as, as a place that Joseph had to hurry to after he had pre- prepared the body and rolled the stone in front, and all that had happened, and they're just resting. But while that's happening, Jesus was working. He was doing what no one else could do. He descended to the dead, and he picked us up from the pit that we'd fallen into as human beings, and he rescued us up out of it. And I don't know what kind of pit maybe you feel like you're in today, but, but, but God is here to rescue you from that pit. He's ultimately rescued you for the cause of eternal life, but I know he, there's little pits we fall in along the way that he wants to rescue people from right now. And that's what we're going to pray for about at the end here. And as David writes this in the Psalms, and I just want you to take this to heart, this is what David writes. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. 
He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. Jesus is here today. He really is. He's among us. He's here to come, and He, has de- he, he, he descended into the dark places, if you will, so that we could have life. But He's ready to descend into any dark places in your life, places where you're having troubles right now. He's ready to go into that place as well and rescue you out of that. Do you believe that? Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.